I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think that anxiousness was always there. But in the last couple of years with COVID, it's really been heightened because we've had this time where uh, our wages aren't certain, our businesses aren't certain, uh, we don't know what's happening with the property market, the share market's all over the place. So, And finances have been in the headlines a lot. So I feel like it's really magnified that. Money, money, money. Man, it can be a lot of things, hey. And right now I think I can speak for a lot of people and call it stressful and say that it's scary, but Money is something that we really need to be talking about more, especially in our 30s. You know, this is a decade where financial decisions can become heaps more complex. We're exposed to these more traditional, you know, rites of passage. We're looking at career changes. People are getting married or starting a family. And of course, there's home ownership, which is still deemed in a way as the Australian dream. However, such significant life changes come with a price tag. And I don't know about you, but it's something that I wish we covered more in high school. Like, I remember in primary school, we had Dolomites, which was, you know, a fun, cute, easy intro to saving. Um, But yeah, unless you chose business as an elective subject in VCE or whatever, you didn't really get any info or a heads up. Anyway... Alongside those life changes, it's in our 30s where many of us start to think about how we can prepare for the decades to follow, which sounds terrifying because there's so many people who are literally living month to month and it's hard to look beyond your current situation. But we are basically halfway to retirement. Well, again, traditionally speaking, I guess given the current climate, yeah, we will probably still be working on our deathbeds, but... Let's not get too emo about that right now. (laughs) I was feeling really anxious about raising the topic of money, even more so than fertility. I feel like there's still such a stigma attached to financial instability, even though there's like a handful of evidence showing that many money problems stem from institutional flaws rather than personal problems. It's hard to feel hopeful about our financial future, but I want to try and change that. Just a little. Obviously, I'm no expert. So in this episode, I have called upon the wisdom of an expert and best-selling author, Melissa Brown. Consider this chat as a bit of a crash course in cash. We cover so much ground and my head definitely felt like it was exploding, um, but for the better. So let's get into it and have a crack at figuring out our finances. Mel, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the podcast. I'm really hoping I come out of this conversation feeling a little less anxious about finances. Is that a normal Mm. sentiment that you kind of come across? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. And especially, I think that anxiousness was always there. But in the last couple of years with COVID, it's really been heightened because we've had this time where Uh, Our wages aren't certain. Our businesses aren't certain. Uh, We don't know what's happening with the property market. The share market's all over the place. So, And finances have been in the headlines a lot. So I feel like it's really magnified that. Yeah, it's definitely intense. It's funny that you mentioned COVID because my kind of observation with COVID and coming out, well, coming into this COVID normal rather, Mm. is that people almost seem to be a little bit more YOLO with their finances because of that fear of going back into lockdown and wanting to have those opportunities to do the things that they've always wanted to do. Have you noticed Mm -hmm. that too? Absolutely. The number of people I know that are booking overseas trips at the moment, it's like, right, I can't get out of the country fast enough. And I think it's YOLO, but I also think it's that 
Exactly what you said, especially if you're in your 30s. And if you don't own a home or if that's not for you, you could be thinking, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Financial literacy is declining. And I think young people particularly are saying, you know what, I may as well just enjoy myself. Um, but it's a really dangerous strategy. And I hope that by the end of our discussion, you're feeling less anxious and maybe a little bit more hopeful. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm feeling, I'm, I mean, I'm feeling hopeful about feeling less anxious. So. Oh, good. I love that. That's a good start. <laughs> so, Mel, I've spoken to a bunch of people who are, yeah, in the same boat as me, entering our 30s, and my followers on Instagram have hit me with a whole bunch of questions that they want to ask you. So we'll get into that shortly. And also, of course, mm. keep in mind that you can't give out personal advice. So what we're really discussing is on general terms. But I guess, you know, going beyond that overall mood for people my age, because based on the conversations that I've had, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling Mm. defeated already when it comes to financial freedom and our financial future. And it's also hard not to compare to previous generations as well. What would you say are the financial milestones that are, I guess, usually achieved or expected for the average person in their 30s? Well, I think the big one, certainly in Australia, that we automatically think of is owning your own home. Yeah. And I think that's why so many uh, people in their 30s feel defeated if they're not already there. And I think the problem that I see that a lot of the time is the expectation is the home needs to look a particular way or it it needs to be in a particular suburb or even that expectation of I'm not financially adulting unless I have a home. And part of what I would suggest is one, really understand if that's your goal. If you want to chase a job around the globe, if there's a reason you're sabotaging that goal, well, chances are it's because that ownership of a home might not be for you. And there's actually loads of ways to own property without it being your home. And I think people are becoming more accepting of that. So whether that's an investment property, and certainly in this country, our laws, uh, capital gains tax and negative gearing are set up to really reward us to have investment properties. So it might be that you live and rent, but that you own a home. uh, So you own property as that investment instead, or that it's that home that you thought that you might buy changes. Maybe it's an apartment, maybe it's in a different suburb. Um, But I think it's really important to understand it's really easy to look back and say, well, that generation had it so much easier. And I know I did growing up as well. I'd look at my parents or my grandparents, but it wasn't always that way. I know for me, uh, so I'm in my 40s, so the next uh, decade, When I was buying my home, yes, house and land prices were so cheap, but I still couldn't afford to buy where I wanted to. I had to buy half an hour away. And I think interest rates were about 12% and my wage was maybe 13, 14 grand. So I think from memory, I could borrow $100,000 and that freaked me out. So we're not comparing apples and apples when we're looking back as well. Um, But just ask the question, is home ownership my goal? And if it's not, how else could I, um, how else could I attain that property goal just at not owning my, not being my home? I'm glad we're kind of going straight into home ownership because that does seem to be the biggest issue. It's a big one. It's yep. so big. I, you know, I feel insecure when I, I you know, I live in Melbourne and mm-hmm. no one in my friendship circle really in Melbourne owns a home because we're all creatives. We all have this lifestyle. Yep. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the cheapest place to buy a home by no means. But mm-hmm. every time I go back home to Ballarat, pretty much all of my friends own a house oh, and I yeah. feel really insecure about that despite the fact that, you know, I'm debt free. I have a good career. I'm financially independent, but it's just that feeling of that missing piece that I need to have a home to be truly overall successful. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's totally. just asking the question: If I want to be creative, if I if I want the option of having that lumpy income, maybe then how I could stop that income being so lumpy is having maybe an investment property instead. Or what I'm loving seeing is more and more options where you could have home ownership, but it doesn't look like it traditionally does. And there's lots of, uh, there's one in Perth. I know there's a few in Sydney 
where you can collaboratively live together. Uh, so they're a block of apartment blocks, with, but they might have communal kitchens and communal living areas, but you still own your little piece of it, but it is this communal living which is much cheaper. So I think we're going to be more creative around ways to own property as we move forward, simply because more and more people are rejecting having to have that ridiculous mortgage just to feel like you've ticked that success box. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just to feel like that you've you've done it. And for mm. me, I guess I don't even know where I want to buy. And I'm the kind exactly. of person who wants to buy and live there straight away. Like, I mean, yep. maybe I should change that mindset, you know. Yeah. Like I should be open to to changing that. We'll go into investing in a second. There's so mm. much that we can be talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess when people want to, you know, take control and figure out how they can, yeah, make that first step, What what is the first step? Like where do we start in terms of taking control of financial future and feeling freedom in that regard? Well, I think you need to start with who you are. So understand things like your money story and your money type. Because uh, it's really important to understand money's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, And in the same way that you and I would have very different exercising styles and eating styles, we we understand that when it comes to food and and relationships, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's important to do the same with money. So figuring out your money story and your money type is important. So we want to start with where you are now. So understanding what money's coming in and what money's going out. But then it's really important to do that exercise around where do I want to be in five years' time? And what financially does that look like? Because there's a lot of different uh, myths and people out there saying you need to save 20% of your income or you just need to save for a home. But actually, if you don't figure out what your goals are and what's important to you, then you can't work back to figure out how much should I be saving? How much should I be investing? How much should I be putting aside? uh, What do I need to put aside for bills? And that way you're able to check things like lifestyle creep, which can really accelerate in your 30s as your income starts to inflate and your spending inflates with it. So I think doing that work around goals is really important so that you figure out what actually do you want Um, Because if my sister was sitting here, we grew up in the same family. She's only two years uh, younger than me. She's in the States now. She's sold up. Uh, She's a social worker. Uh, She's got three kids. Uh, Home ownership was kind of important for her, and that's kind of it. Whereas for me, I don't want kids. Um, I've got a house and an apartment that I split my time between. I've got a business. uh, And it was really important to me that I have the choice to work or not before I hit 50. So our goals, our savings, how we manage our money are going to look so different. But if we didn't realize that separately, then we're not going to be excited and motivated to actually do something about it. And when I say your goals, you know, the media tell us what goals we should have. Our parents, uh, culturally, we have all these goals we think we should have. But I'm a real fan of Uh, as Brene Brown says, writing out your shitty first draft. And often that's the ones that you think you should have. And then unless you're excited about it, keep going until you get the right. And then coming back to the next 12 months and say, right, well, if I want that in five years' time, what does that mean for my finances for the next 12 months? And it's not to say that you'll hit all those goals. So you might have in them, I want to um, have a family like starting a family often happens in your 30s. You might not even have met someone yet, but at least you might start by putting a little extra into super. You might start by starting to put uh, money into investing so you've got a buffer there. You might in five years' time not have met someone and changed your mind about kids, but at least you've started and you haven't just pressed pause until those things started to happen. So finding a way to move forward and getting excited about your goals, I think are really important uh, when it comes to finances. 
And we all have to start somewhere. I think what people probably get really intimidated by is when we're told about, um, you know, these words come out like super investment, emergency funds, Mm -hmm. budgeting, debt-free, insurance. Like like we have to put our fingers in so many pies and you're like, I don't know if I have enough fingers. Uh (laughs) Yep, absolutely. Is there a way, should those things be prioritized? Like is there one thing that we should look at? first before another thing or it's just purely a a matter of your circumstance? Look, I personally, I would start with the, where am I now? What am I spending? So what's coming in and going out? Because a lot of people can't tell you that. Like if I said to you, how much does it cost you to live in each month? You might go, oh, I think I know. But for you actually to face that figure and then work out where you want to go, I think that's actually the, the important first step. Because then decisions around investing, super, um, insurance, all then come in afterwards. Because if you you were in a job and if you didn't intend to have a career break, putting more into superannuation, that could actually take a back burner. Uh, But if things like owning your own home was really important, then you just figuring out how do I strip out expenses and how do I just spend the next year or two saving everything I can might be the thing that's really important. So I think all those big scary words you mentioned, they're all important, but not until I figure out what actually is important to me first. Um, And then what I would look at, things like budget. Budget is that same word as diet. Like diet for me is a horrible, scary Mm. word. Budget is the same. I actually don't think most people need to budget. I think if they do, it's like dieting. You do it for a period of time and then you bust out and you spend more than you intended to in the first place. But if you figure out what's coming in, what's going out, like the essentials, if you send money to your bills account, if you send money to your savings account because you're motivated by your goals to do that and then live to the rest, then you're budgeting by simply only being able to spend what's in your bank account and then if you want more, then it's about finding more income. And I think people have told us, particularly women, um, so 70% of the media articles or 90% of the media articles directed to women are that we need to be more frugal. So often we just go to we need to spend less. That's the answer, not we need to find more and have that different abundant mentality. I'm so glad we're talking about the the whole female perspective because obviously oh. this podcast is shaped around what's you know primarily my perspective as a, a woman entering her 30s, but especially when we talk about finance, because you know before when you were talking about the the narrative that um, external factors companion like media and family and stuff, it's very much leaning on that gender stereotype and those traditional norms of yeah. uh, you know women were never the breadwinners and we were never like in high school. I was mm-hmm. never taught how to approach finances, how to be independent. Yep. We are not conditioned to feel like that's a priority for us. And things yep. are so different now. Like we're, we're ahead, but those expectations aren't catching up with us, if that Absolutely. makes sense. Absolutely. It totally does. And it's really important to understand that part of the reason is that the media talks to men and women differently. Mm. And we have a declining level globally of financial literacy. So we're in a time of extreme uncertainty. The financial world is changing faster than ever before. So we've got new products, new ways to interact with money. Uh, So we're more digital than we ever were before. So we invest with apps now versus uh, with a broker. And yet we're still stuck in these norms and these declining financial literacies. And it's really important to break those stereotypes and to realise what they are. So, for example, a lot of people in their 30s is when they choose to have children. The number of couples that would come to me and still say, so where she's having a baby and it's not worth her going back to work because childcare will take up too much of her wage And I'd be there going, are you kidding me? First of all, you're having this child together. Yeah, you're a team. Yeah, you're a team. Second of all, it's a percentage of both of your wages. So let's not forget that. And thirdly, you've forgotten super. And the compounding effect of super, and I did something on my uh, Instagram page, and we've actually created a super calculator around this, where 
Yes, if you have five years out the workforce to have one child, say, that, and you're on an average wage, that might be 35 grand super. But over 30 years, that's almost half a million in super. And it's that sort of thing that declining levels of financial literacy, we're not taught it at school. And then the gender bias, that that's part of the reason why women aged 55 at most at risk of homelessness and that there are over 400,000 women in their 40s who are one paycheck away from living in their car. So this stuff in your 30s is so important to face so that you're not a statistic and so that you can have choice and freedom. And I get really passionate about this because I see I work with too many women in their 40s and 50s who are then having to undo all of those things that they kind of didn't think that they needed to worry about in their 30s or they parked it going, ugh, I just can't deal with it. <laughs> and it's a sobering thought to think of our 30s in the way that we are, you know, almost halfway to retirement. Like when yeah. I read when I read it was worded as that, I was like, holy Ooh. shit. <laughs> That's <laughs> like that really kind of, you know, brings it home for me. Yeah. Um, mm. So... I guess let's kind of lean into super a bit more because a few people were asking about that and how much we should have in our 30s. I don't know if there's mm. like a, a benchmark there or whatever. I guess when we're talking about career as well, a lot of people might want to change career in their 30s yeah. as well. Yep. Like how does that impact with our super and thinking about those things? So if it's a wage and if you're still going to change career and still continue to receive a wage, it really shouldn't impact your super. Where I see it impacting is if you've chosen to start a business. So if you're a part of the gig economy, which so many of us are, Mm. um, you will have to pay your own super. And that's where I see far too many people opting out of super because they don't understand it. They feel like it's too technical and it's so far away. So that career break calculator I talked about, it's not just for if you're having a child. It's if I'm part of the gig economy and I'm not paying super for a few years, the compounding nature of that's really going to affect me. So uh, what I would suggest is benchmarks, I think, can be really problematic because it depends when you started working. It depends all of those things. But I would say to myself, if I'm in my 30s and if I think I might have a career break later on, then maybe I want to add a little bit more each month now. And that might only be 10 bucks a week. You'll be surprised the difference that will make. But if I'm in the gig economy, if I have the choice to pay super or not, then my question would be, if I went and got a job tomorrow, how much would I be paid? And how much super would they be paying for me? And then paying that yourself. Okay, that's good to know. And I guess as an extension of that, when we're talking about career and yet earning income, finding more income was something that you did mention before. I had one question come through on Instagram that said, should we all be making passive income via side hustle? And how? I mean, how is a pretty big question, but is that something we should all consider? Look, I think, as I said, too too many people instantly think go frugal versus what if I found more income? Uh, When everyone was pulling, and I say everyone because so many people did, during COVID, they pulled the 10 grand out of super. Yeah. Uh, 67% of women spent it on clothes and shoes, and I was horrified. Um, But what that taught me is that we don't know how to find more income. Uh, So I actually did a webinar, and I've got a free download, and it's on my website, which is 33 Ways to Find 10K in 12 Months. But I believe that most people should have multiple income streams. And that, could, and that gives us choice because then we're not wage slaves. If the one business that we have and the one income stream in our business dries up, then I've got options. But that could be as simple as I've got some time in between gigs. I'll do some surveys online and earn 50 bucks. Yeah. Um, I'll I've sell seen uni that pop notes. up on TikTok a lot about oh, surveys. So <laughs> good. It's such an easy way. Um, it might be using cashback apps like Shopback or Cashback. We're, we're all shopping online now. And someone said to me the other day, yes, but they'll get my data. I'm like, please, if you don't think someone has your data. Someone's already got it. (laughs) Exactly. This way, at least we make money from it. Or it's asking the question, what's, what am I good at? Or asking other people, what do you think I'm good at doing? And offering those services either on Airtasker or Redbubble or one of the hundreds of different platforms 
or if you love um, some designer stuff, it might be how could I rent that out? If you've got an inner city uh, home and you know car space is a premium, you can rent out your driveway. Like there's so many ways to earn income and a big one is even your home. So if you're there going, oh, I, I don't have the option of moving back home. I really want to save for a property, but I feel so stuck. You could house sit and you could pour sit. And with so many people going overseas again now, there's people actually that are willing to either, you might not get paid for it, but you will have that whole cost stripped out just for the inconvenience of, say, a year or two of you not um, like living out of suitcases <laughs> while you house it. So finding more income or finding a side hustle, I think is a beautiful way of uh, reaching your goals quicker. Yeah. And it's just a matter of well, knowing that you can get creative and think outside mm. the box because the options really are limitless. Like just in listing yeah. a few of those there, I was like, oh, wow. I couldn't even like, didn't even consider something like that. But yep. Yeah, exactly. Really make it your own. Um, so let's say, you know, we're looking at these side hustles and, and getting some more income coming through. One thing that I found with the questions coming through on my Instagram was the, the number of accounts one should have open. Mm. You know, when we're talking about savings, a savings account or an emergency fund, some people just have all of their, all of their savings in the one account. In the one. Is yeah. that not a, like, should we not be doing that? Or like, how so, many? I'm not a fan of just the one bank account for in everything. Cause it's kind of like going to a buffet and with the one <laughs> plate piling everything up and then saying, you're only allowed to eat a quarter of it. And I don't know if you're like me, I'm just going to keep picking. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, and I'm going to look at that plan and go, oh, crap, I didn't mean for that to happen. So if you're trying to, and most of us struggle with self-discipline, you know, the marshmallow tests from back in the 50s and 60s. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Most kids couldn't leave the marshmallow alone. They had to eat it. And most of us will want to eat those savings. So I'm a fan of having a minimum three accounts. So a savings account, a bills account, and an everyday account. So a savings account that you're putting those savings to for long-term savings. Your bills account so that you're not spending your rent or your mortgage or your electricity money or your insurance money. And then you eat from your everyday account. And it's kind of like when you're at uni uh, or you first started work. Now, if, if there's money, not money in our account, we tend to go to afterpay or to credit. But it's getting out of that habit and saying when there's nothing left, I either eat rice for dinner or I invite myself to friends' places or I go for a walk on the beach instead of going to the gym. Like it's, it's been creative then around the last few days before payday. Um, the other one that you might add to that is a buffer account which could also form your savings. So uh, having three months worth of expenses in a buffer account means that if the fridge dies or the car dies or something happens, you've got an emergency fund. Um, and if you were someone that loved going on holidays and wanted that overseas trip every few years, you might have a separate fund for that, say, uh, because then that's not messed up in your savings and you're not tempted to dip into your savings. But at least those three of everyday bills and savings. You mentioned, Mel, the A word, afterpay, mm. which I think is something we should probably mm -hmm. touch on and maybe kind of pointing back to barriers that people face in terms of getting on top of their finances. Yeah. Afterpay, credit cards, there just seems to be a, a lot of enticing things yeah. out there. So once upon a time, like in my parents' day, they didn't have Sunday trading, that you had to go to the shop. So it was harder to spend money. In my grandparents' day, they couldn't use credit, so they had to save for something. Whereas now I can be drinking on Friday night, 
shopping on my phone as I'm scrolling uh, social media and really get myself into financial trouble. This is not a phone anymore. This is a mobile shopping device. Mm. And what we need to do is curate it so that we're not being sold to perpetually. So the first thing I would say is if you're finding on social media that there are brands and people causing you to spend you need to do the exercise of unfollowing, unfriending and unsubscribing. So that's one. But then two is credit cards and afterpay. So credit cards are often something that we feel like we need to have, again, is that sign of financial adulting, whereas you will spend more if you use credit cards because it's digitized payment where it's not your money and studies have shown that. So using a debit card is perfect, just moving away from credit. I think 90% of people shouldn't have credit. I don't. So I have it for my business, but not personally. I binge hard on chocolate. I cannot have chocolate in the house. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, it's with the understanding that I have no willpower and it's yep. the same with uh, credit. So it's being aware that, you know, I don't have chocolate in the house and I don't be beat myself up for it. So I don't have credit cards in my wallet and I don't beat myself up for it. Like it's being really smart with that. But afterpay is even worse. So I call afterpay lube fee spending. Uh, <laughs> your references are so good and relatable. <laughs> like the way in which you're breaking it down and referring to food. And okay, lube, did you say? For lube fee love. spending. All right, yep. carry on. I'm so here for it. <laughs> it quite literally hurts less. <laughs> it's terrible, I know. Oh, that's great. So the, so the reason I say that is the, the uh, insular region in your brain doesn't light up. And studies have been showing this for digitized payments. But on Afterpay's own website, there's studies that you will spend 40% more if you use Afterpay. And the reason is because of something called framing. So instead of you thinking of the $100 you're going to spend, you would never intend to spend $140. And that really would hurt. You go, oh, no, I'm not spending that. But you have no problem moving it from 25 to 35. And it's the framing effect where your brain doesn't register the large payment. It only registers the small payments. And that's how they're getting an extra 40% out of you. And I've had people say to me, oh, but I've never paid any fees or anything. So therefore, it's cheaper. It's not if you're spending more. <laughs> So that's where afterpay and credit card, I think, again, 90% of people should not be using them because they're causing you to overspend. That's so valid. Um, gosh, I feel like vibe check. Am I scattering too much? I feel like there's so many things that I want to touch on no. and I'm like zigzagging, but yeah. I'm also coming from a real basic bitch perspective. Yeah. <laughs> but everything you're saying is making sense to me. But when you say Good. things, I'm like popping, other things are popping in my head. Like when we're just talking about credit cards, what mm. about cr credit score? Because don't some people get the credit cards or yes. whatever to help them with their credit score because that can help you in the future? Like what? It can. And certainly in the States, that's really important. So United States has a very different system than us. So their credit having that credit score is really important and a credit card's a beautiful way of doing that. Um, here, your mobile phone bill is a form of credit. So you're signing up for, especially if you sign up for a contract, uh, so that's credit. So there's uh, your internet potentially is. Uh, your rent is a version of that. So you can build up a credit score without having a credit card, um, but it can be a way of doing it, but the danger is then that you'll use it and you'll find yourself in, in trouble. And certainly if you go for a loan later on, the bank looks at the limit and it might be that you're paid off every month, but if you have a limit there, they'll assess that, they'll times it by five and just say you were uh, given a loan of 700000 to go and buy a home, they'll reduce that by fifty grand if your credit card's limit is ten grand. Uh, so those things can actually be harmful, even though we think that they're helpful early on. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Let's move on to another keyword um, that has popped up briefly, but might be good to hone in on inflation because that was one mm. that was coming through. Um, one person said, what does 5% plus inflation rates mean for savings? Should we be concerned by this? Is that 
Is that a general thing that you can kind That's of a answer? Great for question. Us? So, average inflation rate over, say, the last 30, 40 years is 2.15%. So, and because uh, that a 2 to 3%, it's kind of generally considered fairly acceptable inflation. This year, for example, uh, the Reserve Bank in Australia is predicting 6% inflation. And that's considered really problematic because that's when we see things like house prices start to gallop up, the cost of our food start to increase. And if wages aren't keeping up with that inflation, then suddenly it becomes really expensive for us to live. Even like the petrol recently was like so stressful. (laughs) Absolutely. Petrol and uh, groceries. I'm really shocked with how expensive fruit and veggies are at the moment. Yeah. Um, So much more expensive. And that's that's the sort of thing where you can't really reduce that. (laughs) Uh, So it's that's what the government and the Reserve Bank, sorry, want to try and get under control. And they do that by increasing interest rates. And the idea is if people are spending, and only a third of people have mortgages, so it, but if those people stop spending as much and don't go out as much for dinner and reduce their spending, then there's less dollars in the, econ- in the economy and therefore they want to see that inflation rate start to drop back down to that 2 to 3%. Another magic word is the C word, crypto. <laughs> what, what's the where you're going there for I know, could have dropped the C bomb, <laughs> but this is another one. Words that I use, that's the only one I, I, I haven't yet reconciled she hasn't gone there. Use. I, I haven't gone there. <laughs> I won't make you go there for this podcast. We will we'll stay with crypto. But this yes. is, you know, this is yeah. a huge thing that's going on. Is that something yeah. that people should invest in one person uh yeah wanted to hear about it they they said let me just find their question again it was really funny they're like so help me if another mansplainer (laughs) if i get another mansplaining crypto to me like how do i kind of figure it out myself so i don't because you know what's funny mel people are putting crypto in their dating app bios as well and like having conversations about crypto on like hinge and shit like this is how prominent it is yeah (laughs) so my thing with crypto is i invest in crypto but i'll only invest uh what i'm prepared to lose so i put guardrails around it like i put guardrails around all my investments so i i invest regularly in three they're in the top 10 because i believe that eventually uh the big companies will come in and create etfs or they'll invest in it as part of their managed funds um and so they'll potentially lift the the value of them uh, and then i just pick a random one every quarter so it's 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 fit and then i've picked the platform that i'll use and then i simply start so if you want to invest in crypto it's doing like you would for any other investment what are the guardrails i want to put around it but i did the same so when i uh, put up the first time I bought crypto a couple of years ago and uh, my nephew who's in his early 20s he went oh Annie Mel you don't want to do that you want to get into uh, I think it was Shiba or something at the time that's gone up by 700 percent and it really worried me because he's never seen a drop you know he'd only ever seen an explosion and not a drop and I really get concerned with the instant gratification of crypto mm-hmm. And that, but this is going to be it. I think crypto is a great part of a beautiful, well thought out long term investing plan. But for me, it's only going to be five or 10%. It's not going to be the danger for me is when people say it's 90% um, rather than the reverse. It's a real gamble, it seems, or it can be a real gamble if you're prepared yeah. to put in a huge amount with um, the expectation that it's going to turn around and you're going Absolutely. to get something huge straight away. And it then means that other people, that they look across at traditional investments like property and shares, and if they're, not, if they're looking going, oh, returns of 9%, whereas that's actually a great return over there. <laughs> so it worries me for that that uh, people, some people are chasing that instant gratification, but I want those returns now that the, I think there's going to be um, some, uh, a lot of people quite upset long-term that, that, that they've just gone all in. It's like, I really liken it to putting it all on black and really hoping for the best rather than it being part of a strategy. 
Mm, interesting. One thing that was coming through was, I guess, in terms of cost of living, um, mm. it seems like the most vulnerable are people who are single and even like yes. apprentices, people coming out of study too. I, I think what the overall mood that I was getting from these questions coming in is that they just feel like they have to be on the same wavelength as those who are more stable and in relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah, this person was like, I'm a single girl, early 30s. Am I meant to be investing? Do I try to buy a home? This apprentice was like, how am I meant to save when the cost of living is so high? Yeah, that's that thing, isn't it? It's the cost of living and it's lifestyle creep as well, but also that keeping up with the Joneses, which might be friends that are in a very different financial position to us. Or it also might be people that are on social media that we've got no idea what their earning capacity really is. Oh. Yeah, the highlight <laughs> reel of everything, including finances. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's where that unsubscribe, unfollow, unfriend. Yeah. But I would also, if I was a single gal and I'm friends with a bunch of couples, I would be having conversations with them to say, I love that you're including me and I want to hang out with you but you've got to understand that my cost of living is twice yours. So is it okay if for every second thing we do together, can it be at someone's house? You know, can, can you guys host a dinner sometimes? Uh, so I would have those open conversations with your friends around what's like, because I promise you they won't be thinking that and they'll be horrified to think that they will be pushing you to a point where it's financially problematic and you know what if they're not horrified then they're not a good friend and then it's up to you then to say right so there are sometimes friends and then I'm going to uh, hang out with these other friends who actually do have my back and get it but if I was an apprentice or if I really wanted to say for that and I wanted to drop that cost of living two or three big ones are your, your home so that would be that could I house sit could I Paucet, or I know in my 30s when my first marriage broke up, I moved in with six friends into a frat house. It was just like the most ridiculous time. Mm -hmm. But also, we were all really supportive of one another, and it was actually a really beautiful time. So, being willing to do that, and it was so cheap because we shared food, mm. we shared accommodation costs. We, um, we drove each other to work. So it wasn't just the cost of living that was shared. It was everything. But if you've got other single friends, you might meet once a week for a cook-up. And that way your food cost is being uh, shared because you're doing it together. And you've also got that social interaction of, and I do it for myself. I have single uh, glass Pyrex containers where I'll put in the soup or I'll put in the lentils or whatever I'm cooking that week, pop them in the freezer and that way I don't have to think about food. I'm not relying on Uber Eats and I'm not having that huge cost where it's me cooking up for one person necessarily. Or the third is the um, petrol where it might be either can I bike to work? Can I talk to my boss and work a day from home? Can I talk to others that work near me and share costs? So being really creative about that cost of living increase particularly if your goals, if, if you know that, look, I need to do this for a couple of years to build up that buffer or to start investing or to build that house deposit, how can I be really creative? Yeah, it just seems like it's so important to change our perspective, I guess, mm -hmm. from looking at how can we, not, not seeing it as being scabby, but being smart. Absolutely. And, and also just normalizing the conversations, what you were saying about having that open dialogue with a friend mm. and you, you never know, like it might be a huge relief for them to hear that you want to be conscious of that because they yeah. might be thinking the same thing, but they might feel like they have to put on this front of like, let's go out for dinner and bottomless brunch and uh -huh. when they may not have the means either. So it's yeah. so interesting. We're never taught to even talk about this shit. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and it, and it is that vulnerability, isn't it? To go, mm. oh, but what if I'm judged yes. by saying this? But I, I absolutely agree with you. I bet you with some of those conversations the friends will be going oh thank god and yeah. maybe there's a deeper conversation then to be had around well how can we support each other in this how can we motivate each other and keep us accountable especially based on the current climate of the world and coming out of you know those lockdowns and people losing income i think there mm -hmm. should be more compassion and empathy than ever so yeah anyone listening like please use this as your calling to be comfortable about it and 
you know, if we can all start talking about it, it's really to help each other and, yeah, kind of plan the best future that we can for ourselves and each other. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about, I guess, for seeking professional help. You've given us so much incredible advice and um, I'll put in the show notes, of course, for your your website and everything so people can keep following you and, and sign up for whatnot. But in terms of seeking professional help, Mel, what mm. do we look for? What do we ask? Where do we start? Like, Because we're hearing accountants, financial planners, like there are lots of yeah. roles and titles. Yep. <laughs> so let's go through them. So an accountant, uh, if you're... Just say it's your first year of tax. So if you're earning less than, say, 18000 you're going to get all your tax back, do it online. Okay. But your first real job where you've got, oh, you've got some expenses and you're like, I just don't know what to claim, maybe go and meet with an accountant for the first year and then decide from that, are you just want to throw money at the problem and have someone do it? Or from there, you might decide, oh, okay, I've got an idea of what to claim. I'll just now take it from here. So that's the accountant's role is really for tax. For business, um, it would be, I'd really want my accountant to help me with tax planning and growing my business. So looking for an accountant that was specific for that. Uh, Financial planner would be, if you uh, are wanting to invest, if you're wanting to get ahead and you just don't know where to start, that can be where a financial planner can come and help you with that. The problem, though, is that the average financial planning fee is $3,300 and a lot of people don't have that to spend so that they can do that. Mm. But if you've got a great job and you're like, again, I'm time poor, I just want to throw money at the problem and have someone keep me accountable, that could be a beautiful option. But for everyone else, there's so many different options now. Um, I've certainly got a course where it's eight weeks and I'll teach you how to do it. So I'll teach you how to create a financial plan, uh, understand who you are financially and teach you about investing. So it's that uh, teach you to fish rather than fish for you. But there's podcasts. Uh, The ASX has a free share market game where you could jump on and learn about share investing with Monopoly money. And that way you can learn about investing without risking any of your own money. Um, or there's books and whatnot. But it's starting to lean into something. You know, Bridget, you've probably got so many hobbies. And because you love them, you spend time on them and you're interested in them. So it's having finance just as another thing that I want to start to be interested in and I want to start to learn about. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to start. That's really good advice and knowing just who to look for, for the right things, because so mm. many people out there just don't know the difference between these, you know, Absolutely. titles. Yeah. Um, this has been so insightful. And I look, I feel, I still feel overwhelmed, but it's like a good overwhelm. So like, good. <laughs> is there any, any final words, Mel, for figuring out finances in, in our thirties? Are there any other takeaways that you think we should really, you know, mm. hone in on and, and focus on? If I was, uh, if I headed back to my 30-year-old self, the thing I wished I'd done is started earlier. Right. So it's probably overwhelming. It might not be something you feel naturally okay with, but I wished I'd started earlier. I wished I'd backed myself more, that I had the confidence to do it. So I would say if you start investing, you're not going to risk the house. You might start with money that you find and the worst thing that can happen if you use money that you don't find is that you realise that maybe that type of investing is not for you. But if unless you're just going to go all in on one share or unless you're going to throw it all in on Bitcoin or, uh, you know, the latest crypto coin, most investments are long-term. Uh, so it's just getting used to this idea of it's not going to be instant gratification. It's the, I'm in this for the long-term. Um, and back yourself. But the thing you have on your side in your 30s is time. Mm. It's the superpower that boomers and others will be looking back on, God, I wish I had that. So you definitely have something. And that's where that compound interest piece comes in. That's where that time in the market and time investing comes in. 
where you've got that thing that other people don't. So don't discount that. Yeah. And everything long-term, it's never instant. It's not just an overnight thing. And going back to how you were comparing, you know, budget and diet, because it's like a real short-term. Yeah. It's not entirely Short-term fix versus long-term eating well. Yeah. Short-term fix versus long-term spending, saving and investing well. Yeah. And even though you're saying, you know, you wish you started earlier, it's important to know that it, it never is too late. Some of the no, comments definitely. Coming, yeah. Some of the comments, like one of my friends, <laughs> it was so funny. She was just like, how do you become like less cynical about saving goals when the world is on fire? It feels so oh, out of reach, uncertain. That. And another person was like, is it too late to be able to save for no. a home in your 30s? Like this is no. what our 30s is really yeah. for, isn't it? It is exactly right. You know, I've, I meet with women in their 50s that ask me, is it too late? And I tell them it's not too late. You just need to start now. Yeah. So in your 30s, it's absolutely not too late. But you might, if you think the world's burning, you might choose to invest in ethical companies and sustainable companies and green companies. So understand you've got such choice with your investing as well. Um, so to really research and lean into that and actually feel like you're looking after your future self and you're investing in companies that are doing good. So that might be how you reconcile it too. Mel, this has been so insightful. My brain hurts a little bit, but I'm not (laughs) complaining. I feel like I do have a little bit more control and I I do have more hope about what I can do personally and hopefully everyone listening is feeling the same too. So thank you so much for giving us so much incredible advice. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Nice to chat. So there is a lot to take in from this conversation and whilst it can be overwhelming, I hope it made you feel just a little hopeful about what you can be doing now to help your financial situation and future. And hey, don't stress if you didn't take any notes. Obviously, you can listen back to this anytime. But Mel has super kindly put together a whole list of resources just for you. I've popped the link to that in the show notes of this episode. Coming up next on Figuring Out 30... One for the fellas. I've met my wife when I was like in high school. We've been together for like 11 years, had the, the one little year off there in between. We didn't, when you think the grass is greener, I came back crawling back crying. My tail <laughs> like it's not green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not green. Take me back, please. Um, um, I, think it was, I think it was about like a week. I was just like, um, I don't like this anymore. Can you, can you um, I'm done now. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm done. This podcast series has been presented from my perspective as a 31-year-old woman, but I have been so curious to see how guys actually feel about their 30s. So with some of the questions that you submitted to my Instagram, I'll be picking the brains of two of the most adored guys in media, Dill Buckley and Alex Dyson. Can't wait for you to hear it. an independent podcast produced and presented by me, Bridget Hustwaite. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Hustwaite, and you can also drop me a line about the podcast anytime at figuringout30 at gmail.com. Don't forget you can hit subscribe if you want to stay across the latest episodes. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you could leave me a little review or rating. Thank you so much for your support. I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.